0: Visit carp.ca.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. We've all heard about dry January, where people swear off alcohol for a month after the holidays. This year, the big health trend for the month is Veganuary. We'll tell you all about it. And... Annual health physicals are becoming a thing of the past. The shift in health care comes after numerous studies found those who get yearly checkups don't stay healthier or live longer. We'll explain what you should be doing instead. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Of changing your ride this year, manufacturers are scrambling to climb aboard a growing trend that's seeing many Zoomers trading in their motorcycles for something more stable. The three-wheeled motorbike now makes up a growing number of sales, up 60% in Quebec, while motorcycle sales in that province were down 17%. Enthusiasts say it offers the exhilaration of a standard motorcycle, but without the physical strain. France's Jeanne Calment, widely recognized as history's oldest woman upon her death at age 122, may actually have been a 99-year-old imposter, according to an explosive new theory from Russian researchers. According to a paper by mathematician Nikolai Zak and supported by gerontologist Valery Novoselov, the real Jean Calmont died in 1934 at the age of 59. This theory posits that the woman who achieved fame as history's oldest person was actually her daughter Yvonne, who assumed her dead mother's identity in order to dodge steep French inheritance taxes. America's oldest World War II veteran, believed to be the oldest living man in the U.S., died last week in Texas— at 112. Supercentenarian Richard Overton said the secret to his long life was just to keep moving. And he also smoked cigars and drank a bit of whiskey. Michelle Obama has replaced Hillary Clinton as the most admired woman in the United States, according to the latest Gallup poll. The 54-year-old former first lady stepped into the spotlight recently with the release of her memoir, Becoming, where she reveals personal stories. Michelle and Barack Obama, who have a phenomenal marriage and who love each other, we, we work on our marriage and we get help with our marriage when we need it. Michelle Obama's book tour will bring her to Toronto in May. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Not since November has a month-long campaign had such a catchy name. And more than a quarter of a million people around the world have signed on since it started five years ago. I'm talking about Veganuary, when people stop eating meat, eggs, butter, and more while they try out the vegan diet in January. Veganism is the strictest form of vegetarianism. I spoke with registered nutritional consultant Rose Reisman about the trend.
1: I see it just in catering. I see it in the restaurants, you know, living, of course, in Toronto. We, we do have a lot of vegan restaurants, and they're outstanding. It doesn't surprise me. I know that it's quadrupled over the past decade veganism. And, you know, it is the strictest form of being a vegetarian. So I think people don't realize it's not only meat, poultry, fish, and anything with an animal, but that means butter, that means eggs, anything dairy. So you really have to get your head around it before you start it. It's not something you wake up and say, okay, I'll try it today. You really have to commit to it.
2: I think to a certain extent, it's also generational. Do you find that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have four children and I look at my four and I'd say two already are borderline like flexitarians, meaning, you know, they'll occasionally have a little bit of fish or that. Um, But one would love to be vegan, but she found she just didn't feel as well being vegan. And she ate very carefully. You know, she did have, you know, she bought fortified foods as much as she could. She did take supplements, but she found she was having more chronic fatigue. So was she doing it at a thousand percent? Maybe not. So I think a lot of it is trying it. But but the fact is this, Libby, I think that if you're going to do it, do it. And don't say this is going to be your life. Try it and see how you feel and if it works for you. My concern is if you're a carnivore and if you're eating meat and chicken you know, on a daily basis, which you know, many Canadians are, this is going to be tough to sustain. I'm hoping that people don't go back to indulging in heavy red meat again. I'd like to think that this is a way of educating someone to say, hey, there's a whole other world out there of food that is more environmentally friendly, a lot healthier for me, if you do it properly.
2: When you encounter people, do they do it more for the, you know, they don't want to kill animals and they want to be easier on the environment or more for their own health?
1: I think it's a mixture. I mean, I think today we're so much aware of what we're doing to our environment. You know, the carbon footprint that cows and larger animals are are putting distress on our environment. You know, often you see teenagers wanting to get into it. They don't want to kill an animal. It's all about the morals of animals. But I think as people get older, it's a lot of health risks. So you're eating too much meat. You might have high cholesterol, high blood pressure. You might be diabetic. You suffer these chronic diseases that you know will not have you live as long as you'd like to. So people do start saying, okay, you know, it's going to be meatless Monday and start going into it slowly, which is what I would recommend for people to do. Are we really looking like, I'd like to look at these people's homes. I'd really like to see how they're doing it. Because I've seen people devour cookies. I mean, you can get breads. You can eat a lot of unhealthy starches and simple carbs and call yourself a vegan. And I've seen many an overweight vegan. So are you doing it properly? I mean, if you are, you really have to be listening and adhering to the four food groups of legumes, nuts and seeds, grains, vegetables, and fruits. So that's how you have to know if you're really doing it properly. And if you are doing it properly, You will have good energy, but there are a lot of nutrients that you may not be aware of that you are lacking in this diet. One of the things is calcium and vitamin D, and that's our bone health. So that's what leads to osteoporosis. Even your immunity is affected by it, and you normally find that in salmon, pork, oysters, eggs. So what you have to do is increase your intake of dark greens, beans, nuts, and look for fortified foods with calcium
2: and vitamin D. It seems to me that these days fewer and fewer people actually cook, and they rely on prepared food and Well, I guess there's more than there used to be, but I don't know how easy it would be to just stop somewhere on the way home and pick up a whole vegan meal.
1: Not easy. I mean, if you live in a big city like Toronto, you can go to Whole Foods, you can go to the Big Carrot. I was at a restaurant the other night, Rosalinda, I believe, and delicious, but oh my God, there must have been 50 ingredients and everything served us. I think when people start doing it, then they get a little you know, laid back and start saying, well, you know, these chips are are vegan you know maybe I'll eat some of these so I, I think you really have to be prepared to do it I do find it extreme for myself but when somebody serves it to me it's a treat
2: what are the things that you would have to stock in your pantry if you want to do this
1: so you can do canned legumes and beans you don't have to be cooking your own but today with the instant pot you can do all this pretty quickly but you need tons of beans legumes seeds nuts grains and that doesn't mean white pasta or white rice. You want to be going to the faro, to the quinoa. So quinoa, for instance, is the, one of the only vegetarian sources of protein. It's a complete protein. Just remember, you're not using eggs, you're not using dairy, there's no butter. And I would tell people don't go to margarine, but just use good quality oils. As you know, coconut oil is really hot today, but keep in mind, coconut milk is quite high in calories and, and saturated fats.
2: So you have to stock up and, and, I guess, leave the time to cook this stuff.
1: Right. You know, Libby, I don't know how many people. I look at my four kids who are, as, as anybody, the millennials today, are running around and they're working hard, they're working long hours, and they come in the door, and it's tough to throw this stuff together without a lot of planning. My concern still in veganism is, is the nutrients that you're lacking. The omega fatty acids, we find that in salmon and egg yolks. Now, you know, what you have to do is you've got to start including more flax products, hemp, walnuts, leafy green vegetables. So, you know, I'd love people to just, you know, have a little bit of education and I can just list the main vitamins that you really, you know, will make you feel either fatigued, the lack of, it will even impair your attention during the day. So you want to look at B12, vitamin D, omega fatty acids, iodine, calcium, iron, and protein.
2: Any particular caution for Zoomers who might be thinking about this? I
1: would say definitely you've got to have supplements or make sure someone is buying you or if you're buying fortified foods.
2: That was Canadian health expert and nutritional consultant, Rose Reisman. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, no need for the annual physical at the doctor's. The reasons why, up next.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP. A new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
2: For years, we were advised to get an annual physical, but there's been a shift in the health mindset, with more focus on prevention. In fact, with overwhelming evidence showing yearly checkups don't predict a healthier patient, some provinces have even stopped paying doctors to perform them. And since 2012 in Ontario, the annual checkup has been called a quote "periodic health visit. That does not happen every 12 months.
3: The traditional annual physical where we would do absolutely everything, so we talk about every single problem, we do vaccinations, we would do screening, we would do what we call a functional inquiry where we would go through every system in the body and ask questions around that, plus fully examine the patient. really required a lot of time, but we didn't really get a lot of bang for a buck out of it. And, in fact, if anything, it was unsafe because we'd spend a short period of time trying to cover many, many topics and wouldn't do any one particular topic or one particular issue any justice by quickly going through it. What we've moved towards is what we call the preventive health exam. So instead of talking about all the chronic issues or instead of talking about new arising problems or uh, trying to do screening all at once or trying to do a whole bunch of things all at once, we really just pieced out the part in terms of let's just make sure we prevent diseases or we catch diseases early.
2: What are the various pieces that you should be looking at and at what kind of intervals? At
3: 50, 50, Because you're more likely to get certain illnesses or we can start to pick them up at that age, that's where we start to do some more screening maneuvers. So some of those screening maneuvers would include, in women, mammograms for the majority of women, keep going on the pap smears, and then at that age we start looking at colorectal cancer screening. And in addition to that, we'd still be wanting to check on blood pressure, on cholesterol, on diabetes, and things like that, and then... Over the age of 74, which is around the time that we, for most people, stop screening for breast cancer and colorectal cancer, is where we sort of do more senior management. So we start looking through all the medications that people have been given over the last year or two, seeing if there's still the right medications for them, seeing if the evidence still supports giving those medications. We easily give people medications for concerns or for a problem, and then we keep giving those medications for months and months and years and years and really don't take a step back to see do they really still need them.
2: With some of the screens there have been reports out recently that sometimes they do more harm than good and I'm thinking about certain cancer screening. The PSA test for men there's been a lot of criticism that it finds something and that the treatment is often worse than the disease.
3: Absolutely and you're absolutely correct and so Um, there's a lot of confusion around some of the guidelines and in particular you're right the prostate specific antigen so PSA screening as well as recently this past week was also a lot of confusion around the updated breast cancer screening guidelines as well that came out from the task force. For the most part what's recommended in those guidelines is that for most people those screening maneuvers may or may not be appropriate according to the recommendations but there's still going to be some people where Performing those tests or performing those maneuvers may be appropriate for them.
2: Obviously, if you're at high risk for either breast cancer or prostate cancer, then you should be screened. Exactly. Now, what are those new guidelines?
3: So the new breast cancer guidelines, uh, the updated guidelines, haven't really changed much. We still definitely recommend women age 50 to 74, for the majority of women or for most women that mammograms are appropriate and that they do save lives. For most women, the risks outweigh the benefit. The big concern, the big risk in women under the age of 50 is unnecessary biopsy, unnecessary testing, and the anxiety associated with that biopsying and testing.
2: You mentioned that screening stops at the age of 74. Why?
3: So for most people, Screening would stop at the age of 74 because, again, it's the recommendations that apply to an entire population but don't necessarily apply to an individual. In some individuals who are really, really healthy at the age of 74 and have no other illnesses and our lifestyle is great, who really are sort of my 75-year-olds in a 55-year-old body, for them, screening may still be appropriate. And so that's where it's a good discussion to have between a physician and an individual patient as to whether or not it may be beneficial for them to continue screening. They actually looked at all the literature and saw that for the majority of people, doing all of that, let's talk about all your problems, let's do a functional inquiry, let's go through every system in your body and ask you questions about that and examine everything in your body and do a whole bunch of tests, they actually found that it didn't make any difference, and if anything, by doing all that, it took away from lengthier discussions about the things that are important. But they did find that in those people at the age, and as they got older, over the age of 65, that in those cases, there may be a small benefit to actually doing the preventive health exam.
2: With these preventive health checks, that doesn't happen all at once. This has to be a number of appointments over the year, right?
3: So the preventive health exam would just be talking about prevention and screening. If you're a healthy person, it's making sure that we catch things early or we prevent things. Screening through detecting things when you don't have symptoms and things that have been shown to be effective, that the research has shown that in certain age groups and certain target populations that administering these tests are actually beneficial. Bringing up of the new concerns or bringing up of symptoms where, for example, some patients, what they would do is they say, well, you know what, I'm having my, my physical, I'm having my annual health exam in February, so when I go there in February for my annual health exam, I'm going to bring up this chest discomfort I've been having, or I'm going to bring up this new mold that has been changing. And that waiting to do that and waiting for your annual health exam to do that is where it becomes unsafe. And so when you have those symptoms that's really when you should be presenting to your physician and not saving it up for that annual health exam.
2: That was Dr. Lisa Del Giudice with the Family Health Team at Sunnybrook Hospital. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, the story behind an iconic 60s protest song.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
2: Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, All Things Zoomer Worldwide. I'm Libby Sneimer. It's time for your International Art State Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown.
4: The Louvre in Paris is enjoying a record number of visitors, thanks to Power Couple, Beyonce, and Jay-Z. The musicians shot a popular music video there, and it sparked so much interest there were more than 10 million people who visited the iconic museum in 2018. The museum also credits the increase in museum visits to an art exhibit by a French master and the recovery of tourism in France. Until March 3rd, the Cleveland Museum of Art presents works by 20th century American art icon Georgia O'Keeffe, showcasing 140 pieces done throughout the artist's 65-year career. Canadian artist Brent Wadden weaves new works for his third UK show at Pace Gallery in London. The trained painter was introduced to weaving while in Berlin in 2004. The exhibit runs until next Thursday. And on now until Sunday, the Israel Museum in Jerusalem presents an exhibition of six decades of the Russian avant-garde artists. I'm
2: Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, musician Stephen Stills turned 74. The singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist is best known as a member of both Buffalo Springfield and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. He wrote and sang one of the most iconic songs of the 60s, inspired by events that took place on the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles. A curfew to prevent congestion after young people left the nightclubs was seen as a violation of their rights. So young hippies and rock and roll fans planned a massive demonstration. In November of 1966, a thousand people rallied and the crowd included high-profile names like Jack Nicholson and Peter Fonda. Stephen Stills was inspired to write this well-known protest song about those events. Here is Buffalo Springfield with For What It's Worth.
3: There's something happening here.
2: That was Buffalo Springfield with For What It's Worth, written by Stephen Stills, who celebrated his 74th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer, and thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things
0: Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. executive producer Moses Zneimer.